Hey guys, this is John. Uh, before I play the sermon, just wanted to pop on here and give you a few updates. First, just want to wish you all a happy new year. Hope you had a great break with your family. Uh, one of the reasons I'm behind on posting these sermons is that the traps had little baby Hank trap on December 4th. So uh, we've had a lot going on and are really enjoying him. Just thanks for all of you who've been encouraging us, praying for us with that whole process of welcoming him into our home. It's been really fun. Uh, we love baby Hank or uh, baby Kank, actually, as Betsy calls him, which makes me think of Kankles, which makes me love him even more. Uh, but just want to also tell you all, thanks for listening to the podcast. Uh, I'm really honored that you allow us to, uh, speak into your life through God's word. Um, and thankful for that. We've got two more sermons coming from you, the one I'm about to play. And then one that the RUF international pastor at UT, Terry Dykstra, uh, graciously preached for me on, uh, December 5th, the day after Hank was born. So Terry came in in a pinch. I'm really thankful for him. Um, one more quick update, uh, RUF starts back on Wednesday, 20, the, uh, January 23rd, and we're going to start at a new time. So we'll be starting at seven o'clock instead of eight. So if you come at eight, you'll see us, but you'll just see the end of us. So come at seven. Um, okay. I'm going to read the passage now because the audio went out for the scripture reading on this sermon. So I'll read it and then uh, I'll just start the sermon after that. Thanks for listening. This is from Galatians 2, 11 through 14. But when Peter came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. For before certain men came from James, he was eating with the Gentiles. But when they came, Peter drew back and separated himself, fearing the circumcision party. And the rest of the Jews acted hypocritically along with him, so that even Barnabas was led astray by their hypocrisy. But when I saw that their conduct was not in step with the truth of the gospel, I said to Peter before them all, If you, though a Jew, live like a Gentile and not like a Jew, how can you force the Gentiles to live like Jews? We ourselves are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners, yet We know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law, because by works of the law, no one will be justified. Y'all, good to have you here. Thanks for being here. Um, My name is John Trapp, and I'm the campus minister here for RUF in Texas. And if this is your first time, I'm especially glad to have you. Welcome. Um, RUF is a place where we gather around God's word every week because we believe that God's word is true and it's authoritative. Um, But if you don't think it's true and maybe you don't think it's authoritative, you're still welcome here Uh, because we believe that God's word um, can speak to us. And if you're kind of in process with your faith or if you are a Christian, wherever you are on the map, uh, spiritually speaking, we're just glad that you're here because what we think the Bible tells us is that No matter how religious or irreligious you are, we all need the grace of God. And so time after time, we gather together around God's word, which we believe really testifies to the truth that God is gracious for really bad to really bad people like me, like us. And so we think that's that's really good news. And one of the ways we've been looking at that this semester, the the main way we have been, is through the eyes of this apostle, this disciple of Jesus, is named Peter. And Peter is kind of this 
seminal figure in the New Testament and in the early church. And I hope that one of the things that you've seen as we've studied this this year is just how many times Peter fails. How frequently he doesn't get it right. And yet, we see that Jesus is incredibly patient with him and kind to him. And for me personally, studying this, it's been really encouraging to remember that my standing before God is not based upon me having things figured out. It's actually not based on what I do. And we see that with Peter. Peter's standing before God is not based on what he does. It's based on what Jesus has done for him. So you could say a Christian fundamentally is not someone who does great things for God. A Christian fundamentally is someone for whom God has done great things, even when they didn't deserve it. And so tonight we're going to see once again that, that Jesus is going to show grace to Peter. That God is going to show grace to Peter. We're going to see that Jesus alone can justify Peter. That's the topic of tonight's sermon. Jesus alone justifies Peter. Let me pray for us and we'll dive into this passage that John read for us. Father, thanks so much for the chance to gather together around your word. And we ask now that the words of my mouth, that the meditation and conversations of all of our hearts would be pleasing and acceptable to you, our rock and our redeemer. And we can only have this happen by the help of your spirit. And so we pray that you would help us, um, not because we deserve it, but because we need it. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Okay, <clears throat> so to get what's going on in this passage, I've got to do a, a little bit of background on, um, and if you are here two weeks ago, you heard what happened with Peter and this vision that he gets. Peter is, uh, he goes in, he has a vision, and it's of this sheet descending out of heaven and the sheet has all of these animals on it that a Jew would consider to be unclean, like things that you wouldn't eat. They, would, they wouldn't be kosher for a Jew to eat. And then he hears a voice as he's seeing this kind of weird vision. He hears a voice. It's the voice of God. And he says, rise, Peter, kill and eat. And then Peter, shocker, has an argument with God. Because he's known to do that. And he says, no, of course, like, I, I, I will never put something like that in my mouth, Lord. No, of course I wouldn't do that. And, and God says, Peter, don't call common what I have made clean. And they have this exchange three times, which is kind of funny because like Peter denies Christ three times. Peter um, argues with Jesus about who's going to be greatest like this many times. I mean, he, he's always... He's just always kind of messing up. And he messes up here again. And then when the vision goes away, Peter, it says Peter's wondering, what does this mean? And as, the, as he's pondering that, he hears a knock on his door. And he goes and opens the door. And there are these Gentiles that God has sent. And they want to know about who God is. So that Peter can tell them the gospel. And what Peter, what the, Peter understands this vision means is that the gospel is going to be for everyone. You see, at the very beginning of the church, it was just Jews who were converting to Christianity. Christianity started out as a Jewish sect. And for Peter, he was like, man, this is great. Like, this is me and all my buddies, all my people. And before Jesus ascends to heaven, he's like, listen, I'm going to send you... 
to be my witness to Jerusalem. And the disciples are probably like, yeah. And then he says, and I'm going to send you to Judea. And they're like, yeah, sweet, hometown. And then he says, and I'm going to send you to Samaria. And they would have been like, what? Samaria? We don't, those are not our people. We actually don't, we're not down with the Samaritans. And then he says, and to the ends of the earth. And now Peter sees at the ends of the earth, these, this cohort of Italians show up at his door and they're asking to find out about the gospel. And what we, what we said two weeks ago is that in this, we see that God's grace is for all kinds of people. But then the story in Galatians 2 happens after that, when Peter should have had this figured out and Peter still doesn't get what it is that makes someone right with God. That's the question I want you to think about tonight. What is it down to its core that makes somebody right with God? And so I want to look at two things primarily. First, Peter's hypocrisy. And second, Paul's confrontation. So Peter's hypocrisy, Paul's confrontation. Um, So, and Paul is writing this, by the way, to people, to a church in Galatia, who is asking this exact question. What is it that makes someone right with God? And Paul tells a story of what happened when Peter went to Antioch. So Peter shows up in Antioch. And you got to imagine, like, he's just been told he can have all this food that he can't, that he's never eaten before. So he, like, he probably goes to Antioch and he goes to his first pig roast. And he's having like his first pieces of bacon. Or maybe, you know, he can have catfish. Maybe he goes to a fish fry in Antioch. Like Peter is living it up. He's having a great time. He's eating all this food that he's never had before. And verse 12 happens. The circumcision party shows up in Antioch. These would have been um, like the Pharisees or the really, uh, the really conservative, traditional, religious people. And another name for the circumcision party in the book of Galatians is the Judaizers. Meaning it's this group of people who believe, they say, they say yeah, you need to believe in Jesus. But you also need to live a certain kind of life. You need to live a life of practicing the Jewish traditions of the Old Testament. And so when they show up, (laughs) it's like you can hear the pork, the pulled pork sandwich, like hitting the ground and Peter just like disappearing when they show up. Because it says as, as soon as they come in, Peter withdraws. He withdraws. And not only that. But all of these other people who are with Peter begin withdrawing too. And what, the, what Peter is demonstrating that he believes, he's demonstrating that he's, that he's essentially agreeing with the Judaizers, that it's not just Jesus alone who saves us, but it's Jesus plus something. Jesus plus law-abiding. Here's, here's the equation that Peter's working with. Jesus plus law-abiding equals salvation. That is a very dangerous equation to operate with. And that's what Paul's going to get at. Um, Because it can be dangerous to give somebody a gift that they don't want. And Paul is going to say, your law abiding and convincing God to love you is not the gift that he wants from you. So um, a lot of y'all know I grew up in a small town in uh, Alabama called Tuscumbia, which means my high school friends are amazing and hilarious. And uh, most of them still live there. 
And so I went to um, undergraduate at Vanderbilt. My freshman year, I'm there. My, one of my closest friends, who was a senior in high school still, who was a year younger than me, uh, his name is Ben. And <clears throat> I'm changing his name for the sake of the story because it's pretty hilarious what Ben does. So um, Ben calls me one day, and I pick up the phone, and he's like, <laughs> I'm going to try to talk like Ben. I'll do my best. He's like, hi, man. I'm like, hey, what's up? He's like, man. You know, I've, uh, I've been talking to Kara a little bit. All right, let me fill you in on who Kara is. Kara is, we go to like a tiny little school, okay? And her dad is the high school basketball coach who, uh, if any of you know who Bob Knight is, or like just like the most traditional, imagine the most traditional kind of like surly high school basketball coach that you can imagine who always has his like, he like wears t-shirts, but he tucks them into his khakis with his white shoes. Like that's... That's co- the coach. Okay, that's Kara's dad. He's like, hey, ma'am. Like, and Ka- by the way, Kara's never been allowed to date anyone. Um, like, so, you know, I've been talking to Kara, and uh, I was just thinking, you know, we're not we're not boyfriend and girlfriend or anything, but her birthday's coming up, and like, I don't know, I feel like I should do something for her. I was like, no, what are you talking about? Like, this is not a good idea. Like, are y'all? Have you, have you like had the DTR or y'all? And he's like, no, 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 no. But like, you know, I just want to get her a gift that says friends, you know, it's something that says friends. I was like, is that such a, is there such a thing as that? Um, he's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. So uh, I was like, well, he's at this point, I'm realizing he's clearly not calling for my advice because he's already has a plan and set in motion. He just wants to, to hear it's going to be okay. He's like, so I was thinking about it and like, you know, um, Scott Lowry from church, he's, uh, he's got that portrait studio he just opened up in, in downtown Tuscumbia. And, uh, I don't know, I was just thinking like maybe he could like draw us a picture or something of us together. I was like, whoa, 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 whoa. Like reel this back. What? Like, he's like, he's like, no man, it's like, it's like not a big deal. I'm not going to get like a big picture or anything. Just like something like the size of a postcard, you know, just like says friends. I'm like. That sounds like a horrible idea, but you do what you want to do. <clears throat> About two weeks go by, and he called. Like, I get another call from Ben, and Ben's like, "Hey, man, I got like a, I got a big problem." <laughs> I was like, "Okay, like, what is it?" He's like, "Man, I just went to go pick up, uh, pick up the picture for for Kara, and it's not the size of a postcard; it's the size of a poster board." <laughs> and I'm like, "You've got to send me a picture of this. Like, what? Like, show it to me, y'all." Here's the best part. A picture of Ben and Kara did not exist. And like, like when he gave the per, the, like when he gave Scott Lowry a picture to draw of them, he took his yearbook picture and he took Kara's yearbook picture and he gave them to Scott. He said, could you like put our faces like together in a picture? And so the picture literally is, it looks like a, um, I don't even know. It looks like it's like a terrible family picture from the eighties where like Kara's like sitting there like this and in, in the, in, in the back, like my friend Ben has his like hand on her shoulder and they're just like looking forward, like straight in, like just kind of death gaze. And, and it's massive. It's like this big. It's the size of a poster board. And he's like, He's like, man, so like, I don't know, like, I paid good money for this. Like, he gave me a deal, you know, we go to church together, but like, I don't know what I should do. I was like, do not give her that picture. Don't do it. He's like, man, I don't know. Like, 
I spent a lot of money on this picture, dude. Like, I think I'm just going to give it to her. I'm going to take it to her to school tomorrow. It's her birthday. I want her to have a happy birthday. I was like, no, what are you doing? So, y'all, he shows up in the school parking lot with this picture. He's like, hey, like, happy birthday. (laughs) And she looks at this, like, horrific, creepy picture and is like, thanks. Like, I don't. And anyway, they're married. No, they're not. They're not. They're not at all. Like, it did not work out. They, uh, they kind of honestly like just bombed the whole relationship. But she still has the picture, and I've seen it, and it is amazing. I'm glad that she's held on to it. Um, but here's the thing. Like, it is actually really dangerous to give somebody a gift that they don't want. And we have to be careful working hard to give a gift when the recipient doesn't want it at all. And Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount, he warns that this is actually going to happen. He doesn't say this might happen. He says this will happen. In the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 7, 21 through 23, he says, not everyone who says to me, he's talking about at the end of time, when he is seated on his throne on the day of judgment, He says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. But the one who does the will of my father who is in heaven. On that day, Jesus says, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and um, do all kinds of mighty works in your name? And Jesus says, then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. That's an unsettling passage. But I want you to think about what are these people coming up and saying they've done? They're presenting to him, look at all of the right things that we have done. We've prophesied, we've cast out demons, we've done mighty works in your name. And Jesus says, I'm going to look at that and that's going to be a gift I don't want. That That is not my aim for you. That you would somehow abide by the law enough so that you would enter in the kingdom of heaven. Um, And this, by the way, is super counter to what our culture teaches. Um, And this is like based on statistical data that has been run. The pervading belief in our country is that the people who get into heaven are the nice people. Like, you go to heaven by being good. You go to heaven by doing good things. And that is what merits you getting into heaven. And while that may sound really broad and like good news, that like, yeah, good people get into heaven, I want to tell you that that is actually really bad news and extremely narrow. Because if only the good people get in, what about the bad people? Because what Jesus says, and there's this interesting little aside that he makes in Luke 18 when this rich young ruler comes up to him and he asks him, he says good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus says to him why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. See what Jesus and Jesus is about to ask this guy what? Yeah, like you get he, he tells him, yeah, you're, you're, you get in by living the law perfectly. And this guy doesn't get it. He thinks he is living the law perfectly. And Jesus is going to tell him, yeah, okay, well, like, 
then if you think you're living a lot perfectly, go sell all that you possess and give it to the poor and the guy will leave sad. He's like, I'm not doing that because I love my money more than I love people, which means he's an idolater, which means he isn't living the law perfectly. And it's why Jesus, when the guy comes up to him and says, good teacher, Jesus says, why are you calling me good? Only God's good. And Jesus is God, which means he is good, but he's the only, he's, there's only ever been one good man. It was Jesus. That's what he claims at least. And yet here is Peter. Here's Peter. He's with the Gentiles. He's with people that up until a very small amount of time ago, he would have seen as the bad people. As the people who don't get it. As the people who don't practice their religion the right way. As the people who aren't doing things right. And Peter is with the bad people. And then the good people show up and Peter's gone. He withdraws from them. Because what Peter is inferring is that, you know what, it's not just being righteous, but I also need to live in a clean way, abiding by every little jot and tittle of the law. And just to explain that for a second, like, let me take like a, like a 30 second, like seminary thing on why don't we all still obey like the Levitical law? You know what I'm talking about? If you're reading like in the book of Leviticus, you're like, why don't we still do this? There's like all these random laws and like we don't do sacrifices anymore. Like there's no goats here that we're about to slaughter. At least I don't think. I hope maybe Cade was going to make that in his presentation. But um, like we don't do those things. So like why not? Well, it's because there's it's because in the Levitical law, the Old Testament law, there's three kinds of laws. There was civic laws, which are kind of like. Hey, Israel, this is how you need to operate as a kingdom. Well, Israel isn't a kingdom anymore. We believe in the New Testament that, that Gentiles and Jews, which is what we're talking about, the Gentiles and Jews are all gathered into God's kingdom, into Christ's kingdom. Like Jesus comes proclaiming his new kingdom. So there's the civic law we no longer need because now we are living in Christ's kingdom. Then there's also something called the ceremonial law. This was the laws about like goats and how to be, how to like properly clean yourself and how to make proper sacrifices and how to do all these little minute things to make yourself pure and acceptable. And what we believe as Christians is what Jesus says in the New Testament. He says, I haven't come to abolish the law. I haven't come to kick the law. He says, I've come to fulfill the law. So what we believe is that Jesus has fulfilled the ceremonial law, that all of those ceremonial laws were pointing to our need to be cleaned. You know what I'm saying? They were pointing to our need to be pure. And what we believe is that Jesus has satisfied that need. And so because we are made clean in him, we don't need to do the ceremonial law anymore. But then the third kind of law is the moral law. And we see all throughout the New Testament, the, the, the moral law, such as the Ten Commandments, are, um, are reaffirmed in the New Testament. This is a law that God wants us to continue to uphold. But the civic law and the ceremonial law have been fulfilled in Christ. And yet Peter is here and he's looking at this like, you know what, I know that Jesus makes me clean, supposedly. But these Judaizers are coming here and they're saying that there's other stuff that I need to do. And that they're called the circumcision party for a reason. Because they're telling Gentiles, yeah, you want to be a Christian? Great. Get circumcised. You need to, be, you need to make yourself clean. You need to do this ritual to make yourself really clean. 
And Peter is falling into this. And so Paul confronts him. In ver- and I love Paul, verse 14, Paul confronts him in front of everyone. He just like straight up calls him out. And he does it, Paul does it because he loves Peter. And he loves the Jews. And he loves the Gentiles from Antioch who are there. And Paul doesn't want them to get astray. Because teaching that the law must be fulfilled um, in order to be acceptable to God, that we have to do something, it's a perversion of the gospel. And namely, it's a perversion of this doctrine that is central to the gospel called justification. And Paul starts talking about it. He starts talking about what justification is. Look at verse 16. He says, a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law. Because by works of the law, no one will be justified. This word justified, it's like legal courtroom language. It's a kind of term that means blameless, without guilt. But it also means you're righteous, deserving merit. So it's not just... If you're justified, it's not just that you're forgiven and blameless. It's also that you're given all of the merit that you're seen as righteous and good in the sight of God. So a a definition of justification that I've heard before is justification is just as if I never sinned. Like God looks at me and it's just as if I never sinned. That's justification. And that's half of justification, but it's not all of justification because The second half of justification is that when God looks at you, he doesn't just see someone who hasn't sinned. He sees the righteous life of Jesus. That's what he sees. Not just someone that's like kind of skating by. He sees his child who he loves. That's justification. And it's received, Paul says, not by works, It's received by faith. And when we try to add to our deservingness of justification, we prove that we actually don't have faith. And that's why Paul is so concerned about this. Because Peter is about to lead everyone astray. Into believing that there's something else they must do. And that it's not by faith alone. You can't clean yourself up, he wants you to know. Like, actually cleaning yourself up makes the problem worse. So we have, uh, we have four kids. I had to think for a second. Our fifth one is almost here. I'm not preaching next week at RUF because we'll probably have a a baby. Um, I'll keep you posted on that. But uh, Terry Dykstra, who does RUF International, is going to preach next week. And y'all should come. It's the last RUF of this semester. Um, But... Our kids, especially like when we get them into pull-ups, which are easy to take on and off, that's why they're called pull-ups, we have to coach them that if they like have a mess at night, to not try to clean it up themselves. Because one of our children, who shall not be named, had a very significant mess in their pull-up. And thought that they were like embarrassed about it and upset about it. And so they tried to clean it up themselves. And when they took their pull-up off, it got everywhere. And it was terrible. And we told them, 
look, it's okay if that happens. But if you try to clean yourself up, it, it gets way worse. And the laundry is like way more heinous. So would you please just call out to us and let us come help you? And what Paul is saying is that you can't clean yourself up. You can't, you've just, what you've got to do is you've got to believe that the only thing you need to do is cry out to your father and he'll come and clean you up. And he does that through the work of Jesus that he has accomplished in his life, death, and resurrection. So it's not Jesus plus our law abiding equals salvation. In fact, what equals our salvation is Jesus plus nothing. Jesus plus nothing equals salvation. Jesus plus nothing equals everything. Jesus plus anything equals nothing. Jesus plus anything is nothing. It's Christ alone who saves us. And by his actions, Peter's suggesting that there's something else that you can do to make yourself acceptable to God. And look, um, Christians, if we do that, if we live thinking that God deals with us based on our behavior and not based on his grace, we will become crazy judgmental of other people. You will live your life spell checking all of your friends' moral actions if you believe that God deals with you based on your behavior. And there's all kinds of ways that we do this, that we, that we believe that God deals with us based on something that we add to the gospel. Like, what, do you, what are the things that you add to the gospel? Can I, can I throw out a couple things that, I don't know, maybe we add to the gospel? It's like, this is what makes me right in God's sight. This is what makes me acceptable. One of them, and I don't, I, I, I really don't, I want to be careful bring this up because I want to throw it all off, but I actually think one of, one of the things that we can add to the gospel is underage drinking. And what I mean by that is because it's, I don't know, for some reason at Texas, maybe I'm, I could be wrong, but like, it seems like it's kind of this big deal if you don't drink underage and like everyone kind of knows that you're one of those people who don't, doesn't drink underage and like, if you're one of those people, it can kind of become this badge of honor of like, you know what? I'm for real. I'm the one who really gets it. And I think that there's probably, there's probably people on this campus who find more hope and peace in the fact that they're being pretty moral with the way that they deal with alcohol. They found more hope in that than they do in Jesus. And that's adding to the gospel. Another, another thing that I think can get added to the gospel is like quiet times. Like I talk to students all the time who have like crazy shame that they're not having enough quiet times. And they just feel ashamed about it. They feel bad about it. Like, I'm not reading my Bible enough. But I really, and, and so what that tells me is that there's also students on this campus, I believe, who do read their Bible regularly. And when they consider, how does God feel about me? One of the things that makes them feel like he likes me is that 
I'm reading my Bible regularly. Like that makes me good with him. That's adding to the gospel. Regular Bible study does not make you any more acceptable to Jesus. It doesn't make you any more acceptable to God. We add things to the gospel. And when we do that, what it does is it assumes that Jesus' death was not enough for you. That Jesus' perfect life and his death, you know what? That wasn't enough. You know what, you know what really is going to make me good? Is like all that stuff that Jesus did plus me having a quiet time. Or all that stuff that Jesus did plus me having like a date when I, when I like made a commitment to Jesus. You know, like you don't have to have like an official date where you came to Jesus. That's adding to the gospel. It's okay to not have a date. And just be like, just kind of look up one day and be like, wow, you know what? I, I believe. Believe this. Because what we can do is begin trusting in this date where I made this decision and that becomes a thing that makes me feel like I have standing before God. That's adding. Jesus plus nothing equals everything. And I want, to, I want you to hear me. I'm not telling you to go like underage drink and never read your Bible. Okay, please hear me. I'm not, say, I'm not saying that. What I'm saying is those things like they aren't going to make you acceptable to God. But you know what? Going the whole like, other route of being like, well, you know what? Like, I'm, I'm so like I'm acceptable to God for like because of what Jesus did. So that just means I'm going like, to go do whatever I want. That's like that's kind of at the at the heart of that um, misunderstanding of the gospel of just being like, yeah, like, like that gives me license to sin. That gives me license to just abuse God's grace. It, at the heart of that is the same misunderstanding at the, the person who's like looking to legalism to save them is having. Because at the heart, the person who is looking to legalism to save them, at their, at, at their heart of hearts, they don't believe that God will actually just love them because of faith. So they think they have to add something to it. So they, at their heart of hearts, they don't believe that God's actually for them. That he's holding out on them. They have to convince something out of him. And the person who abuses God's grace and says, oh, great, like Jesus is going to give me grace and do whatever I want to. They also believe that God does not have his best out for them. Because they look at his law that he's given them, that he's saved them from grace and now given them a way to live. And they think, well, that's not, I don't want that. He's holding out on me. There's something better I can do. You see at the heart, at the heart of both of those, whether it's the ditch of legalism or the ditch of amoralism, at the heart of both of them is a distrust of God. And what is it that saves us trusting him? Faith alone. And so what do we do? Um, here's what I want you to do. And I'll, I'll close with this story. Um, when I met uh, Chrissy's extended family for the first time, it was in Colorado. Um, all of her family gathered together. They like, rented a, a house in the mountains, and I was like the college boyfriend. And so that means that uh, I, everyone else was sleeping in a bed, and I was sleeping on a blow-up mattress under the pool table. And so uh, 
there's a whole other story to this too, of like me waking up in the middle of the night to go to the bathroom and passing out because I get altitude sickness and like hitting my head and waking up everyone in the room when I was in the bathroom, right after I got in the bathroom. And it was horrible. No one found me. It was okay. But like, it could have been like really, really bad. Um, but I woke up the whole house and they were like, is Trap okay? And I woke up and I was like, oh my gosh, I should pull up my pants and tell them I'm okay. So that happened. So the trip was going great. And um, Chrissy has this uncle who has this really weird sense of humor. Probably some of y'all have uncles like this. And they're, they find it's funny to make people feel uncomfortable. That's literally all his sense of humor is, is, is making other people feel uncomfortable. So the whole, like the whole weekend that we were out there, he's just like poking at me and prodding at me and like, and I'm such a people pleaser the whole time. He's like, please, please like me, please like me, please like me. And I'm just like laughing, like over laughing at his jokes, you know, and like trying to like buddy up with him and stuff. And the last night, his name's Uncle Charlie. The last night, Uncle Charlie, um, we, we just finished playing like a family game and it kind of gets quiet in the room. It's like the awkward silence. And Uncle Charlie's like, John, what are your intentions with Chrissy? <laughs> I was like, uh, I don't even know what I said. And before I even like stammered out the answer, he's like, John, here's my real question. Why should a family who's all from Pennsylvania want to have a boy from Alabama around? It's like, what? Like, like, and I'm like, uh, I'm trying to think of like a response and to be funny or like roll with it. And I'm just feeling hurt inside. And I don't know like what to do. And I turn and I look at Uncle Charlie and he's smiling. There's this big, broad smile across his face. And everyone else in the room is smiling. Everyone's kind of, everyone just starts laughing. And just go, oh, they like me. Like, uh, Uncle Charlie likes me. He approves of me. Here's what I want you to do. The gospel is this. In Christ, by faith alone, you can believe. God likes me. He, he doesn't just love me. He likes me. Not because of anything that I've added to make myself more worthy. He likes me so much. He loves me so much. He has made every single thing that needs to be done. He's done it all. He loves me too much to leave me to myself to fix things because he knows I'll screw it up. He loves me that much. He loves me. He likes me. So he holds out eternal life to me. What makes you right in God's sight is the work of Jesus on your behalf. And it's free for anyone who would believe. So if you do believe, I want you to leave tonight. And I want you to have peace. When all the stress of like the rest of the semester is like coming down on you, I want you to remember and have peace that God likes you. Okay? And if you don't believe, and you've kind of been coming and thinking about this, I want you to know that this story of Peter is true. It's given to us. So that we can see once again that God deals with screw ups like Peter, who Peter repents and he figures it out. In Acts 15, we see him proclaiming, yeah, like the gospel is for everyone, it's for Jews and Gentiles. I messed up. God is for people who don't have it all together. So come to him if you never have and believe in him. All right, let me close this.
Father, thanks so much for um, how much you love us and what you do in order to love us and make us lovable. Um, We pray now that as we sing to you, that you um, would be worshipped, that our our music um, would confirm to you our thankfulness and the glory that you deserve. And so it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.